This is the podcast about transatlantic business by MCHM Germany. The Clue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Clue. My name is Katharina Luise Kittler, and I'm the head of communications at MCHM Germany. I'm very happy to welcome Frank Samolis to our episode today. Frank is partner at Squire Patent Box, a member company of MCHM Germany, and he is the co-chair of the International Trade Practice. He advises clients on international trade matters, including trade law, trade policy, and legislation and international trade negotiations. At MCHM Germany, he serves as our senior advisor in Washington, DC. So hello, Frank, and thank you very much for being on the clue today. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's always good to be uh, catching up with you. So today we want to talk a little bit about the current status of international trade and specifically how international companies can deal with the current circumstances. The corona pandemic challenges a lot of companies and there are also many political events and changes that affect global business. So we are living in very trying times at the moment. Maybe as a first question, Frank, how would you analyze the current situation in transatlantic business? Well, you're right, Katharina. It is a very interesting time we're living in. The effect of the virus, of course, has been profound. And I'm not just talking about the uh, medical aspects. I'm talking about the economic impact on what it has done to global growth. Every major trading country is seeing a retraction and is facing a recession and therefore world trade is declining. So countries have to be nimble and they have to be able to reset their economic policies in many ways in terms of their views towards debt and deficit spending. I know Germany is, is facing that right now, uh, but companies are also re-examining their supply chains. They're looking at things like production sharing and nearshoring, all in a way to try and minimize the negative impacts of the coronavirus. I think Everybody agrees we'll have negative growth this year, but I think going into next year, I'm fairly confident that with the growing trade negotiations, bilateral and regional, that we will uh, gradually get our way out of this low growth and into a more robust trade period, probably in 2021. And you also advise many clients in the fields of international trade. How, in your experience, have companies handled the corona pandemic so far? Well, Katharina, I think they're, they're looking to diversify supply sources. That's certainly clear. And, you know, the role of the U.S.-China trade war has combined with the coronavirus to really contaminate traditional channels of trade and forcing companies to adjust. I think in the United States, the companies we're advising are, are looking at some form of assistance from the government. They're also looking at how they can engage in international trade negotiations. As you know, Katharina, we, there are a number of trade negotiations now ongoing. Yeah, it totally is. And I mean, besides the corona pandemic, there are also so many other events and developments going on worldwide. And as always, transatlantic business is affected by international relations, right? So during the Absolutely. past... Yeah, during the past years, the relationship between the US and Europe and also Germany have gotten a little under pressure. And nevertheless, we see 
in the results of our member surveys that the majority of our member companies still believe in the value and, and in the benefit of transatlantic business. So how would you evaluate transatlantic business and how has it changed over the years? Well, I think uh, the business has come under some degree of skepticism with the current U.S. administration of President Trump. I think he has taken a much more confrontational role and has uh, not uh, cozied up to our long-term trade allies as other presidents have. So it's created some bumps in the road, but that's just one part of the U.S. government, Katarina. And I think if we're looking at members of Congress from both parties, the majority would still be strongly in favor of keeping transatlantic trade growing and strengthening our ties. I think there may be some uh, retaliatory actions by the Trump administration that will present some problems in the short term. But I think if companies are looking to long-term growth and strategic positioning, they have to believe that the transatlantic trade channels will remain open and hopefully will grow in the years to come. Do you think that from a company perspective, they have to prepare or be aware of some decisions President Trump could make before November? You'll recall there are a number of issues still pending where the president could take action. The, within the last, I think it's the last three weeks, Katharina, he has initiated three new Section 232. These are national security investigations. That's the legal basis for what he did on steel and aluminum, where he ended up imposing high tariffs. He has initiated cases on vanadium, on transformer parts, and also on mobile cranes, construction cranes, which I know are, is a big industry in Europe and in Germany. So it's important for companies to see what happens with those uh, ongoing investigations. It's important for them to see what he might do with respect to China, because even though it's U.S.-China, that will have a ripple effect in terms of other trade and trade relations. And we have a pending dispute. This predates Trump, the Airbus-Boeing dispute, which has led to retaliation, increased tariffs by the U.S., counter-retaliation by the EU. It's unclear if I doubt if that's going to be resolved in the upcoming months, but that's another area where I think you have to look for possible action by President Trump before the November elections. Yeah, right. And speaking of the EU, in July, the German EU Council presidency will start. And Yes. Europe, yeah, European member states and also other countries expect a lot of Germany. So Germany will take on a very special role beginning in July. And in comparison to other countries, Germany has handled the corona pandemic pretty well so far. And that is maybe one of the main reasons why expectations are so high. And what do you expect from the presidency and which topics will be a top priority for the next six months, especially if we think of the time before November? Well, Katrina, I think it's going to be a very important time. Number one, there are going to be some very big issues. And uh, Germany is taking on another leadership role at precisely the right time. I think they have, uh, Germany has grown and matured. It has always been a leader in Europe, but now with the coronavirus, it has softened its position on deficit spending. You know, the, uh, I think it was $148 billion stimulus package that was approved uh, two weeks ago. That was after another big supplementary budget that Germany passed. So I think Germany is taking a fresh look at deficit spending. You're facing a very deep recession. Exports are dropping. You've got, I forget the number, 70 some million workers that are on your uh, 
paid furlough program in Germany. So there needs to be a stimulus to the economy and there needs to be an in continued engagement with the United States on trade. And as I mentioned earlier, we're at the beginning of a US-EU free trade agreement. Talks are just starting, but that will be something where we might see some initial progress in terms of the negotiating mandate by both sides uh, in the next six months. And do you think that this you know, combination that we have the corona pandemic currently and that Germany will take on the EU Council presidency, could that be something um, which we could analyze as a catalyst maybe for change? I mean, especially if we think of the topics of digitalization, for example, many companies um, had to adapt to the new situ situation. So we have we have a pandemic, we have this, this EU presidency. Do you think that this changed something? Yes, I'm glad you reminded me of digital trade. Uh, you reminded me that there was one other big trade investigation that the president recently initiated, and that has to do with digital trade and the digital trade tax policies of the EU and India and Brazil and Turkey and a lot of other countries. It's tied in with the current OECD negotiations. So uh, digital trade is going to be present as an opportunity and a threat for Germany, for the US. You also expand that to China, Katrina. Look at what China is doing with respect to digital finance. And the Central Bank of China is now moving forward with a digital yuan currency, which would create all sorts of new dynamics when you're looking at ways that companies and countries might be able to avoid the long reach of US sanctions. To take one example, Iranian oil, that could now, if it were financed through a digital Chinese currency, would not involve U.S. banks and it would uh, completely eviscerate uh, the sanction system of the U.S. So, yes, that's a long answer to your question that digital trade is going to be another huge issue. That's not going to be resolved before the uh, November elections in the U.S., but certainly some of the outlines of negotiations and the interest of the company should become clearer over the next few months. Yeah, and speaking of China, and just to give our listeners um, a little bit of background, um, as you said at the beginning of this year, the US and China signed an agreement on a phase one trade deal that, for example, requires structural reforms and other changes to the Chinese economic and trade regime in many different areas, intellectual property, technology, transfer, financial services. And the phase one agreement also includes a commitment by China that it will make substantial additional purchases of American goods and services in the coming year. And taking the current situation into consideration, how can the phase one deal change US-China trade relations? And I mean, you, you already tackled that topic, but what can we expect from, from the phase one deal and will there be further negotiations in the next All Right, time? you're raising some very interesting questions, Katharina. Uh, I would start by saying this is phase one. It's a unique process of President Trump. Usually a country acts and retaliates in one phase that we don't know if there's gonna be a phase two, a phase three, or phase four, time will tell. Uh, if you're an optimist, and sometimes I try to be on U.S.-China trade, you can say that everything that Trump has done as far as the imposition of sanctions and tariffs in phase one has been temporary. So it hasn't structurally altered the U.S.-China trade relationship. On the other hand, this is an election year in the U.S. Uh, here in the U.S., we're already seeing the beginning of 
President Trump's re-election commercials in which he essentially goes after Vice President Biden as being soft on China and saying that we could be working with China. And just yesterday, CNN released uh, portions of the new book by John Bolton, former national security advisor to President Trump, where he said that uh, he was seeking uh, Xi's support for his re-election by asking him to make purchases of U.S. agricultural products. So one thing we can be sure of, China will feature in the U.S. elections, and what President Trump does is certainly going to have a political overtone in addition to what it's going to do economically as far as world trade is concerned. Yeah, and another aspect maybe is that the corona pandemic and the related economic slowdown of China can also lead to a decline, a declining influence of, of China and Europe, right? Yes, as well as China, certainly. And I think, you know, it's unclear about Europe. The big, one of the big topics here in the U.S. is what we call production sharing or nearshoring, moving supply chains away from China. At the same time, the White House, primarily through Peter Navarro, his economic advisor, is reportedly looking at another big executive order to expand Buy American provisions on the theory that the coronavirus certainly exposed our tremendous dependency on Chinese uh, materials and sourcing. So the extreme view is that there's got to be a way to get that all back in the United States and mandate production in the U.S. I think a more moderate and tempered view is that, yes, while this did expose our vulnerability on China, maybe the better approach is to shift production to nearshoring. And nearshoring could be, uh, you know, India, it could be Egypt, it could be Europe, uh, it could be the Caribbean and Western Hemisphere. But the point is that there may be a way to uh, expand our alternative supply chains, and that would be a benefit for Europe. The other thing is that companies, and especially our companies, who are very active in the fields of digitalization or innovation, do you have a recommendation or a strategy maybe how they can remain competitive? I mean, if they think about shifting supply chains, they have to implement that in their business models. They have to think about the technology they need and China is very much forward in these topics. So what would be your recommendation? Well, I think companies need to come up with a creative way to work with governments in terms of taking advantage of, I mentioned these huge stimulus measures in the supplementary budget. There's money there that could be used to promote competitiveness. And I think that is one area where companies can be looking to improve uh, their position. Now, that's a, a kind of an easy one because it's dependent on money that's coming out of the governments. The other thing that companies can do is restructure their own internal production planning and what they can do in terms of being more cost competitive, emphasizing U.S. content in some cases and in other cases politically, and this is very important, remaining very visible in Washington in emphasizing the importance of transatlantic trade because uh, it's important to have that message reinforced in Washington. Especially when we think of the elections coming up in November, the current polls show that Joe Biden is ahead of President Trump. So it's always difficult to, to predict the future. But if Joe Biden wins the election, how will he affect and maybe change transatlantic relations? And how will businesses react to such a change? Well, I think, and again, this is just, uh, this is advice uh, that's worth what you're paying for. I think Biden is going to be more of a traditionalist on international trade. I think he'll be very similar to President Obama. 
And I think one of the immediate things you will see, I would predict, is a re-engagement in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, which I believe was a useful mechanism for securing an alliance of like-minded countries that would create new rules that would force China, if they want to get into that agreement, to amend and modify their state-owned enterprise policy. With respect to Europe, I think Biden will be much more embracing of the WTO, and that's a good thing for Europe. It's a good thing for the U.S. I think what uh, European businesses ought to be doing is sending their message of expressions of interest in getting this trade agreement concluded. If Biden is elected, uh, there won't be an EU-US free trade agreement by then, but I I can't imagine he would walk away from that. In fact, I think he would encourage a more robust discussion between the US and the EU. So European companies, German companies need to be thinking now about how they can take advantage of those negotiations. We're just at the very beginning stages now, so we're just starting to set the parameters. Speaking of the trade agreement and the negotiations, do you think if Biden wins, wins the election that within the negotiations there will be maybe the same obstacles? I mean, we always heard about the agriculture issue. That was always right. an issue. It was an issue with TTIP and it was an issue during the Trump administration and that was always something that needed to be discussed. Do you think that would be still an issue with a new president and will there be other issues difficult to negotiate? Well, yes. Unfortunately, I think some of those issues transcend any given president, even ones as different as Trump and uh, presumably Biden. Uh, so agriculture will be a big issue, and uh, both sides are going to have to figure out how to reconcile not only market access, but how you harmonize standards and how you treat what they call sanitary and phytosanitary standards, which can often be a disguised restriction on trade, and how Europe treats genetically modified uh, organisms and food. Those issues will remain no matter who is the U.S. president. So uh, we have to be able to work together. I think the meeting of the minds is going to be better with the Biden presidency. And besides agriculture, um, I'm also pretty sure that the topic of the Green Deal and climate politics will be an issue in regards to the negotiations. So speaking of energy yes. policy, climate policy, and um, the strategy of the European Union, is in favor of and is working on. Do you think that would be an issue within the negotiations? Well, it'll be less of a confrontational issue, particularly on climate change, where I think uh, Biden has staked out a much more position, much more progressive and much more in line with what the EU has been saying. So that, while it won't resolve it, Katerina, I think it will create a much better climate for discussion. And the same with some of those other issues raised, and even things like labor where Biden is going to be much more of a position in favor of organized labor and labor rights. Yeah, we'll learn about all these, all these aspects and how the negotiations uh, proceed sometime next year. I just have um, two more concluding questions, and one sure. of them relates to us, to MCHEM Germany, because we want to support and foster transatlantic relations and what can organizations such as MCHEM Germany do during the next months to support our companies? Well, I, that's a very good question, Katrina. I think the most important thing you can do and your members can do is to engage 
with Washington. It's important to engage with the lawmakers here to reinforce the notion that there is a great interest in continuing transatlantic trade, making sure it's robust, and indicating the tremendous similarities between German companies and U.S. companies that really transcend these uh, smaller differences that we've talked about. The really big issue is one that reinforces an alliance. And while most people know that, even in COVID-19 times, it is constantly being inundated with interest groups, lots of different voices on lots of different things. So it's really important for uh, AmCham Germany and similar entities to, just to make sure that the message is still out there loud and clear. I know it's always difficult to, to predict the future and especially during these times, but how would we talk about transatlantic business in a year from now? I don't think we'll have a US-EU agreement by then, but we'll be a lot further along that we have made progress. We haven't solved everything. I would like to think we would be making progress on regulatory coherence. It's a fairly esoteric term, but it simply means making sure that standards and regulations in Europe and the U.S. become much more complementary and harmonized. And that would go a tremendous way in opening up trade without really damaging consumers or posing any safety threat. So being an optimist, Katharina, I think a year from now, you and I will be talking about what do we need to do to finalize this deal. You think about how enormous that trade agreement would be between the United States and the European Union. That's a major, major agreement. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm very much looking forward to our next podcast episode next year. So thank you, Frank, for sharing your knowledge and your insights with us and learning so much about international trade and transatlantic relations. And let's keep in touch. And I'm sure we'll speak again during the next months. Yes, always a pleasure, Katarina. Call me anytime. I'm always happy to chat with you and with the AmCham. And uh, best of luck to you. Thank you. So thank you all for tuning in today and talk to you soon.